Blog Talk Radio. Okay, uh, yes, uh, I'm here. This is Tom Dawson, Dawson Files, and uh, welcome once again to another to another great show of excellence. We just wanted to and wanted to kind of tell you what the story is tonight. First of all, number one, we had one guest that we had coming in. We thought, uh, but unfortunately, you know, he could not make it. Family emergency. We had, you know, I tried to get another guest. He's going to be coming on tomorrow, Kyle Hester. Uh, we're, we're still, we try to get a couple more people, but unfortunately, they were un- unable to make it. But we do have Dr. Larry's coming on shortly, and uh, we do have, uh, coming in shortly, and we do have the Swamp Girl is going to be joining us as well with some of her commentary. And here's what we're going to talk about tonight, and here's what we're going to get into is this. We're going to talk about the lockdown. The WHO basically came out, which is, again, the importance is, you know, why does this matter? Where a WHO, not the WHO, a WHO special envoy to COVID has urged world leader stop using the lockdown as a primary control method against the spread of the virus. And and here's the thing. Here's the point I make because it's interesting. The only time we believe a lockdown justifies to buy time, reorganize, regroup, rebalance your resources, protect your health workers who are exhausted, and by and large, we'd rather not do it. Even to the collateral damage lockdowns are having worldwide. And and it, you know, and the bottom line is very simple. We're talking anywhere between 150, 300 thousand people. Worldwide, they've been gone from, let's say, 
basically put on the what I would call survival mode or starvation mode. And we're going to talk more about this as the show goes on because I think there's some very interesting tidbits to talk about as we get into the show. And Dr. Larry is going to be joining me a few minutes here. And I want to thank Dr. Larry for coming on and helping out. But we're going to delve into the data because I want people to understand that this is, you know, this is not one of those issues that on surface, on the surface here, it's, it's not like, A, if we do this, people die. What you're looking at is an issue where, quite honestly, policymakers are dealt with, okay, you deal with the virus, or do you crash the economy and deal with the, the impact of that? And unfortunately, the impact is going to prove to be far greater to society than, let's just say, controlling the virus. And we would never, and I always thought to me, because, you know, Dr. Larry, you're on the show, and I'm going to throw this out because you got criticism. I know, you know, people said the same thing to you months ago. You know, the fact that when we came out and said, okay, you know, it's time to move away from the lockdown, and the, the answer was, what do you want to do, kill people? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, well, well um, I, I must admit I had my doubts about going about the lockdown in the first place, uh, mainly because it seemed to me that the that the issue really was how good is the judgment of the uh, public health uh, experts uh, in terms of the total picture? You know, they're very they're very single-minded when it comes to public health. <clears throat> and my experience has been that you have to take that with, as one factor, but there are a lot of other factors that you have to consider. And I I felt that maybe those hadn't been considered adequately. And frankly, I guess. Uh, the, the, the subsequent history may have borne that out, but um, so yeah, I, I I was always somewhat skeptical of it, and I always felt that we ought to get out of it as soon as possible. I think had we gotten out of it within the 30 days that that uh, the president initially uh, stipulated, uh, we would have had far fewer uh, bad effects of the uh, on the economy as well as the mental health of the people. Uh, you know, that lost their jobs. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I, mean, I agree. I mean, like I said, we're going to delve into these, because you know, I, you know, I know you got a copy of the study we just you know, did at the foundation. And, uh, and I did give you like 10 minutes to read it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, like I say, ladies and gentlemen, you know, doc, you, know, you know, Dr. Larry is one of those smart guys. Give him something and he'll pick it up pretty quickly. Uh, and, and trust me, I gave it to him very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> very short time ago, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, well, it, yeah, but, it yeah, really mean, yeah. is an interesting piece, though, Tom. Uh, you know, you've yeah. quantified this 
effect of the uh, lockdown and the effect on the on the uh, blue versus the uh, red states. I think I think it's really yeah. It's a lot. Of, it's very technical for uh, a lot of people, but uh, but the results are certainly interesting. Well, that's it because it was done by Wilf O'Reilly, who I was trying to get on, but he was not able to make it. Uh, and, uh, and 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 you know, and, and the thing is, it's like you're right. I mean, the data speaks for itself, and uh, and the thing is, you know, and I will. You know, he, he will speak for itself because, uh, you know, quite honestly, you know, he's done a study on lockdowns before. This is like his second study, but we asked him to add some additional data to that as well. So I'm going to take a quick break. This is Tom Donaldson, Donaldson Files, and the National News Radio Network. This is Dr. Larry Fidoa, host of the Dr. Larry Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network, inviting you to listen live every Wednesday evening from 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time at blogtalkradio.com and the podcast every Monday through Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time at thebachelornews.airtime.pro. I am called the philosopher of current events, an independent, open-minded conservative with my own ideas. If you are interested in advertising or having your own show, email us at labachelor40 at gmail.com. That's right. Welcome back to the Donaldson Files. Tom Donaldson with Dr. Larry. And also joining us on the line is our good friend from Columbia, South Carolina, the Swamp Girl. Pam, Pam, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing pretty good, Tom. How are you doing? It's a beautiful day in South Carolina. Well, actually, it's a beautiful day here. It's a nice fall day, about 65 and sunny. So, and and by the way, Dr. Larry, who you got coming? Who you have coming on tomorrow night? Since we just did an after your show here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Well, uh, we're we're going to have uh, Chris Kettner, I think, and uh, and uh, my and possibly Bob Livingston. Who, uh, former congressman, former uh, chairman of the, of the uh, House Budget Committee, and uh, and we're going to be talking about the uh, the theme is how will a how would a uh, Biden presidency change your life, and uh, we're going to go into the impl- the ramifications of of the of the uh, uh, the platform that they really seem to be running on, even though it's a little vague sometimes. Well, it's not so vague. It's not really all that vague if you actually read it. It's just vague when they took, when they don't talk about it. <laughs> right. Well, they, they say different things, you know, at different times. Yeah. <laughs> but, different times. They're like, I'm for fracking, except when I'm in Pennsylvania. Then, no, I'm against fracking, except when I'm in Pennsylvania, then I'm for fracking. There you go. <laughs> yeah, this. And so, all right, okay, here's the thing. I, I, I kind of, you know, you know, let's kind of delve into some of the data here. Because here's the thing. To me, the, the, who, the WHO official coming out against the lockdown, because this is big to me in the sense of two things. There are two things that the WHO has done that 
by the way, has not made the front page of any newspaper because uh, it runs counter to the narrative. And uh, but it, but here's the thing: he's basically saying, in effect, "Hey, this is a bad. You know, it's time to stop this. It's time to get away from this aspect." And he's not the only one. Uh, uh, you're, you're seeing a lot of scientists now coming out. A lot of people basically saying, in effect, "It's you know, this is not the right way to deal with this virus." That we've gone beyond this point. And I think there's another thing that, again, didn't make the front page of the New York Times. The implication of what I'm about to say here are significant. And that is, they basically came out and said a quarter of a billion people estimated. Now, I don't know how they got the numbers, but they're saying a quarter of a billion people. That's about 10% of the world population have the virus. Sounds horrible, but you have about maybe less than 1.1 million people died from this virus, confirmed death, and what you see, and when I think about it, it's like when you combine, when you look at the infectious fatality rate. If this guy, if this number is correct, we're talking a 0.13, a 0.14, and. That's the flu, folks. What the WHO is saying, that is the flu, which I think is kind of interesting because they're, in effect, saying that the fatality rate was far less. And remember, the WHO for for months was using as their official number you know, the confirmed fatality rate is 3 to 4%, which is pretty high. I mean, you're talking you know, 100 million of death. And yet here we are. You know, here we are basically talking about 0.14. So, and again, that to me is big news. I mean, those are the two big news. So, okay, Pam, I'm going to bring you on because basically – I mean, you know, South Carolina is one of the few states that pretty much didn't go to the full-scale lockdown. We did yeah, you know, initially. Think, so we did the 14-day thing, and then it was just like, nah, mm, people were getting around it and getting ways to do it. And I think in South Carolina, you know, historically you deal with malaria, you deal with things, you know, and I'm not minimizing COVID, but people here do have a, I am an adult, give me the information, I will handle this type attitude. Um, and I think that's pretty much where it, it has stayed at. You know, people that are concerned about it are isolating and stay at home. Other people are going out and doing what they need to do and doing their businesses. And they're following the parameters or whatever the newest fad is because at one point, and I was telling the doctor today, um, you know, they, they asked for us to, to give and to, you know, the N95 mask um, that I had a, a good supply of. They said, oh, the hospitals need them because they're going to run short. So if you can, go by and donate them to the hospitals because they need them. You don't need them. 
And then the next thing you know, oh, yeah, you need a mask. And then the next thing you know, well, it's an aerosol. Well, if this thing is like an aerosol thing, you just kind of got to throw your hands up a little bit and do the best you can with what you got. So, that's, I mean, you know, I, I hate to speak like that, but, um, yeah, you use caution. It's, to me, it's no different than going in the swamp with snakes. What state are you talking about? South Carolina. Oh, South Carolina, yeah. Yeah, I, I love that. You know, when you go in a swamp, beware of the snakes. Be careful of snakes. Well, you 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 look, you you know it, you know it's there. You can't see them half the time, but you know that even a, a, a non-poisonous snake is going to have bacteria that will kill you. You know, so you don't want to get bit by any snakes, and but you, it doesn't keep you from going and doing things you need to do. Um, alligators, snakes, things like that. To me, it's it's not that much different. Is that you give me the knowledge, and I will use the caution. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I'm going to bring this up because when I, you know, I have relatives that live in Florida, and and I've been to South Carolina numerous times, and I can remember, you know, one time we were it was like in Hilton Head, we're taking this little boat, you know, canoe ride through this, you know, through these little. I won't say rivers, but guys, uh, it was in, you know, like kind of a lake area that you know, had a little pathway. And I could sit back and remember you had houses on along the way. And I'm sitting there going around and I'm looking, and I'm seeing this big gator in this guy's backyard. And he, and I'm like, and he started to slip in the water. And at that point, I'm like telling my brother, okay, it's time to get the hell out of here. How fast can we row this canoe? Yeah, when they're bigger than your boat, you kind of want to move out their way. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I can always remember, you know, one of my, it was my sister-in-law, we're walking, you know, this path, and it says, you know, don't leave your, no dogs and cats will be left unattended. And I asked, you know, why? Because I was thinking, well, you know, you know, I guess you don't want your dogs and cats out there causing trouble. And she said, well, gators eat them. And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm gators? like, what? <laughs> gators. <laughs> That's exactly right. I mean, it's like, gators? <laughs> yeah. We have to watch the people with the small dogs here, the small dogs and the small cats and stuff here, because we got eagles and hawks that will eat them, and owls that will come to swoop down right in your yard and bam and take your little critter away. Yeah, (laughs) you know. Uh, (laughs) And I can say at that point, I'm like, yeah, oh. (laughs) What you're telling me, this pathway is full of gators. It just says yes. The possibility exists you can run into one, to which I said, and we're walking down this pathway. Why? Well, we didn't have a dog or a cat, so I guess it was okay. But, but you got a point. There. I mean, here's a you got a point there. You know, it's kind of like being an adult. You know, this is what Christy Nome did in South Dakota, and I, and like I say, you know, regardless, in 2024, if there was a person I would put on my top of my list. For the presidency, and, and and Larry, you if you can get a chance to get her on the air, she's great. Christy Nomad, South Dakota, the governor of South Dakota. Yeah, boy, she's got to be the prettiest governor in, t- in the state of the union. 
And she got that going for her. <laughs> well, it doesn't. Oh, y'all know I'm still. Y'all still, y'all know I'm still a Nikki Haley fan. So go away. <laughs> it, it doesn't surprise me that the North Carolinians are are not afraid of uh, COVID when they're uh, facing alligators and, and snakes all the time. South, yeah. South Carolina, you got it. You got it now. We got a line between two states. This is South Carolina. Uh, yeah, this that's is not right. North yeah. Carolina. Is North what Carolina's I... got Charlotte, and they lock down. I all get out. They got yeah. Durham and yeah. Raleigh and all those places, and even Norfolk. They just lock down like I'll get out. But mm, yeah, yeah. You know. Did I say Down North? Here, I, mean, I didn't mean to. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'll correct you. Don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, I apologize, ma'am. <laughs> yeah. I, I'll take my hat off and I apologize. <laughs> yeah. All right. Here's the thing. I'm going to throw this out because here's the thing because we got, like I said, I'm going to go with the study here. And there's two aspects of this study that I thought was great because I asked a good professor. You know, just, you know, just I mean, to do his lockdown because, like I say, he did the original study in April, and he found, quite frankly, that there was no benefit, and that in many cases, the non-lockdown states actually suffered less damage, and we see this again here. And and then he also did a comparison of red states and blue states. So, and. Well, I thought I thought I thought the uh, effect of the uh, non-white comparison was very interesting too. Yeah, well, we did that because this, you know, I I tell you the here's the thing, the reason why I had to do that because is is this is I I sat there and I went through each state and I did an estimate and you know based on their population. In, in about 47, 48 of the states, you could give good data. And the states you couldn't, there were small states that didn't have a lot of minority population to begin with, so they wouldn't have mattered. And I'm sitting there counting this up, and it's like, now I didn't do it per capita. But I'm thinking, well, it was like a two to one, at the time it was like a two to one margin, a two, two to a half to one margin. Uh, blue states, which is Democratic governors versus red states with Republican governors. And you're twice as likely, if you're black and Hispanic, to die with a Democratic governor. So I, so I wanted this, I wanted him to basically say, okay, am I crazy? Am I right? You know, if you did an academia study with your regression models, what would you come up with? You know, because he would he would look at certain factors and you know, and say, okay, and look at the variables. And try to eliminate the var- certain variables to get an apple to apple comparison. And we're going to talk about that shortly afterwards here on the, Don- on the Donaldson Files and the Bachelor News Radio Network. Uh, don't forget tomorrow night's show will be Kyle Hester. Hopefully, Coco will be back uh, in health and, and doing well. As I say, she does have 102 temperature and, and has what I'm going to assume is a Spanish flu, kind of a, span- a stomach. Virus, a stomach virus. So hopefully she'll be back here on the Bastard News Radio Network. I never get the flu. My kids don't need more shots. I don't have time. We're all healthy. My asthma's under control. I'm pregnant. I've had the flu. It's not a big deal. My kids are too old for flu. The media is exaggerated. I can fight it naturally. No matter how you build your excuses, the flu can blow your house down. 
Keep your foundation strong. Vaccinate. Learn more at flu.gov. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Welcome back to the Dawson Files here on the Bachelor News Radio Network with uh, the Swamp Girl Pam along with Dr. Larry. And we're talking lockdown, lockdowns, and more lockdowns. Okay. Uh, do you got the data in front of you, uh, Larry? Yeah, well, some of it. Okay. Here was the thing that, to me, you're right. I mean, this was the interesting thing. Because here's the interesting case here. And this is important. Because, and we found this to be true in all cases, but, okay, among blacks and Hispanics, on the average, we found that there was like at that at this at the time of study, we've done nearly sixty thousand per state cases in red states of the virus. You, you get the case, get the virus. Blue states, it was fifty-two thousand. So you were more likely, if you're black, to get sick in a red state. Lockdown states. Now, that was a little more interesting because the lockdown states, you were basically, if I'm looking at this correctly, uh, let me see, yeah, about yeah. one-fourth of a Six, getting infected in a non-lockdown to four, 65 to 16, right? Yeah, 60 to 10. But here's the kick. You are twice as likely to die in a blue state than a red state. And the lockdown numbers were even worse. So, you know, and then when you go case per million, that's the again thing, you know, case per million, uh, you, know, this, you know, we saw the same thing. But here's the deal, case per million, it was almost double, again, almost the double the case. In other words, the entire, I mean, the other words, because, my question I would throw back to this audience, and I'm going to throw it back to both of you, is if you're black or Hispanic, you're more likely to die in a blue state than a red state. What should that tell you at this point? Now, let's start with you, Dr. Larry. If somebody came to you and said to you, you're twice as likely to die with a Democratic governor than a Republican governor of COVID. Well, it says that uh, there must be something different about the the, the level of care and the level of uh, uh, equipment and um, medications that, uh, and perhaps hospital sp- uh, space in the uh, blue states uh, than uh, than than the red states, because. If if you're less likely to die, it means that you've had better care, I assume, uh, because I don't think there's that much difference in the uh, in the actual virus itself. Although there are some yeah. mutations, but uh, I, I would yeah. I would put it down to care. Yeah. All right, uh, Pam. No. Yeah. Okay. I think it has to do in. with money. I think it has to do with money. If you, you know, if you want to follow statistics and things like that, um, most of the Democratic states have no money. 
They have no money in the system. They have no money to take care of the indigent. When you, you know, look at California and New York and, and look at the population that are homeless and look at the, the populations of those two areas, and I'm just taking two ends of the, the country, um, but I think that has more to do with it, um, with it, as you said, Hispanic and blacks and stuff, because you're spending all your resources on the street trying to help these people out, whereas regular people don't. And I do think it is quality of care. Um, I remember we had a hospital here locally. It wasn't in Columbia. It was a little out. But, um, you know, it's part of the Columbia system, whatever. Those doctors over there were trying experimental things with the patients they had at COVID and had some of the first successes because they stepped out of the well, out of the bounds, you know, you know what I mean? But it also had to do with money. Um, there's money for those hospitals. There's a research hospital. You, you see what I'm saying? And we don't have yeah, that big of a population, so they, they could focus on those groups. So, yeah, I do believe it is quality. I agree with Dr. Larry. It's quality of health care, but I also think it has to do with money. If your state has no money, your county hospital has no money. Yeah, but that that's a function of all the uh the political and 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 uh social organization of the uh community. You know, they if they don't have money, it's because of something. It's because of mismanagement in my opinion. I, that, well, yeah, I I agree with that. But I believe that yeah. the morbidity rate is determined by number one the size of your population and you know the basic uh, funds that you have to provide that health care. I mean, I'll go back to Cuomo throwing people in nursing homes. Who ever in heck thought that that was a good idea? You know? Well, okay, that's it. Yeah. Well, here's a good point. I mean, here's the point I'm going to throw back. Because here's the thing. Okay, let's take New York. New York spends a lot of money. Probably, you know, I bet you if you took a per capita spending with the schools or welfare or health care, they probably spend more money on a per capita base in Florida or Texas. And if I'm wrong, uh, and if you think I'm wrong, you can call in 646-929-0130, 646-929-0130. I'm rarely wrong, but there are those moments in which, quite frankly, I could be wrong. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you're, you're, there's no question you're right. Yeah. <laughs> well, so here's the, like, on this, York, on this one, anyway. Yeah, but see here the way because one of the things I kind of is like in the state of New York, you were more you know they, they had more actual death of black and Hispanics in that state than let's say Florida and Texas combined, and we're talking basically a, you know about 19 million people versus the two states combined, there are almost 60 million, so. You know, part of it could be, let's say, what she's talking about money, but there's also, to me, an ideology in a, that comes into play. You know, uh, you know how you govern, you know, what you do. Because, you know, when I'm looking at these numbers, and, and somewhere along the line, I wish somebody in the Republican Party had taken the time to do this research, you know, because yeah. I've been doing it on a because, now, Tom, can I yeah. can I suggest something here? Go I ahead. think I think number one, the uh, Trump campaign is 
is having a hard time with uh, refuting all of the the allegations of uh, mismanagement uh, that are being thrown around even spuriously, and therefore they could they could use some solid data. And I, if you would have your uh, your uh, expert uh, develop a, uh, a, 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 I'd say an executive summary that's about you know maybe couple hundred words at the most uh, summarizing the data and then put that on top of this study I think we could get into the White House for you yes well that's a, yeah well here's the, yeah I mean I would say that because well I mean it deserves to be it yeah. deserves to be heard yeah. yeah well I'm not gonna disagree with that at all uh, I mean if I could figure out a way to do that I'd do it uh, like I say but Actually, the interesting thing. Oh, Tom, a, you know how to write a you know how to write books. Go for it. Yeah, well, like I say, because here's the thing: there is a two-page summary at the end, Appendix A. That yeah, but that's all purpose. data. That's, that's all data. data. That's data. Well, that's data anybody can read. Yeah, I know, but, but you right, need I, to, you need to say it in prose. Yeah, in prose. Okay. Well, then I'll have to do that tonight to get it to you because I know you know people. Because you are Dr. Larry. Yeah. yeah. Sound like the voice from the grave in that commercial. Well, here's the thing. I mean, let, let's go back in this way. Let's go back because here's the thing. You know, you know, it, it's, you know, I, I'm looking at this, and it's like, okay, number one, blade, blue states outperform when it comes out, red states are outperforming blue states when it comes to safety. Doesn't matter. I mean, it, I mean, you do it per capita basis, you do it in raw terms. It's there, and and when you look at, and most of your blue states were more likely to do lockdown versus the lockdown methodology. And many, like North, like uh, uh, Illinois, they New still York, are. Still, I mean, they still have a lot of economic restrictions in place. And New York is, is about to reshut down the city of New York again. Yeah, but, you yeah. know, I mean, they're determined to destroy that city and uh, put my daughter back on the streets again. Uh, thank you very much. <laughs> you better get her out of New York before she gets on the street. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. You know, it, but here's the thing. I mean, so the question comes into play to me because here's – the question I wish somebody would ask, and that is this. If this comes down to which political party can do this better and protect people and protect their economic prosperity at the same time, the red states have done a much better job. We've had a 50-state experiment, and basically blue states are more likely to have more deaths and higher unemployment on top of that. So they can't even make the argument, hey, we're saving lives by economic restrictions when they haven't done that on the average. You know, you know that's, that's another factor here, though. I suspect that in those cities, the, uh, those populations have a higher percentage of people with uh with uh, other other conditions you know diabetes and and uh yeah. various uh things and so when they go into the hospital 
they have less of a chance actually of surviving than uh, somebody who is in good health. And I suspect that 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 is also a factor in in uh, in in the in the reality here. That I don't know. I don't think he he really. Uh, I don't know if there's any way that he could have uh, accounted for that. But I think it. I think it is real. Well, here's the thing. He the, there were. I mean, what he looked at was testing lockdown data. So he does minority percentage uh, population density. And he doesn't necessarily go into poverty per se, but he does talk about population density, testing, lockdown, date of onset, and also a minority percentage. Uh, yeah. uh, let me take this even a step further, okay? And then I'm going to get uh, is this. All right. One of the things that I did, you know, that's not part of this, but is I compared four of the top most populous states Democrats and Republicans, and and basically, so I, I mean the total depth, and let's say New York, Illinois, Pennsylvania, California, uh, versus let's say Florida, Texas, Georgia, and Ohio. Those are they're very similar in size when you take over population, and they're very similar, uh, you know, demographic. You know, they have. Demographics and the reality was is that there's something. Let me see here if I get my statistics. Yeah, 67,000 people died in those four Democratic states versus 44,000 in the red states. And on a per capita basis, if I could find that, uh, on a per capita basis, again. The Democratic average of those four states were 878 versus 545. Then you look at the unemployment side. The average unemployment of those four states is 10.4. I think I got that wrong. Okay, it is. 11.3 The average unemployment was 7.2 Of of those four blue states Three of which, by the way, were under the national average So And that's mainly due to the fact that they didn't have That they don't have a serious lockdown Yeah Exactly So this is Tom Donaldson Uh with Dr. Larry and the Swamp Girl, we'll be right back. This is <laughs> the Bachelor News Radio Network. Greetings and great day, everyone. I am Elder Janelle Strickland, host of the Life Cafe Radio Broadcast from Maximizing Life Family Worship Center. I invite you to tune in every Saturday from 5 to 6 p.m. Tune in, maximize your life with the Word of God, and be blessed. Only on the Bachelor News Radio Network. This is Tom Donaldson uh, on the Donaldson Files and the Bachelor News Radio Network. We got Dr. Larry joining us along with the Swamp Girl Pam. Uh, Our phone number is 646 929 0130. 
646-929-0130. And if you're on Twitter, you can tweet me right now at the Donaldson File. That's right. Tweet me right now. Uh, (laughs) If you've got any questions, got any comments, or uh, simply want to just say, Tom, you're the greatest. (laughs) Well, I'll say it. Tom, you're the greatest. (laughs) (laughs) And and, and also, this is October, October. This is our third year we've been on the air. So here's the deal. I'm going to be sending out some books tomorrow, free books tomorrow. So here's the deal. You want to be in the free book, you know, and the book that it is is The Rise of National Populism and Democratic Socialism. What's our response should be? My classic of three years ago, which is still valid, even today, explaining all the forces of good and evil in front of us. Uh, and you can get this book free. All you got to do is DM me on Twitter at the Dawson Files. DM me. Give me your address. We won't share your address. We will get you a free autograph copy of the book and and i know both of you guys have read the book so you know you can tell them what a great book it is it is a good book it's a good book tom <laughs> thank you <laughs> <laughs> it, it, i know it, I, you know i did enjoy it it came at the right time for me you know um yeah. because i read it last year it's it's Still in the same stack. It's not hard for me to pick up and look at when I need to look at something and find yeah. something in it. Uh, really a good book. Yeah. All right. Yeah. But like I mean, but here's the thing. I'm gonna go back to the point because here's the, the whole premise is this. You know, you know, Donald Trump screwed this all up, and I keep asking myself, then how come the blue states outperform red states? I mean, are getting outperformed? They're getting outperformed by red states. Across the board. There's a massive test across the board. They're getting outperformed. We had a 50-state experiment. And does, shouldn't that count for something? Pam, what's your thoughts? If somebody comes to you, doesn't that count for something? Doesn't what count for what? <laughs> does the, uh, yeah. I mean, the fact that, let's say, red states are outperforming blue states for the past seven months, not just – not in only protecting – People from COVID, they're less likely to die, but you're also less likely to be unemployed. So they have not sacrificed the unemployment side of the equation compared to the blue states. And if somebody were to come what? at me and ask me what is what I didn't catch, would I would I be saying doesn't that account for something? You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. We say what is that? Should that should people just sit back and say wait a minute? You know, how important is the fact that, uh, I mean, here's the thing. Which political party is going to do a better job of protecting your economic prosperity at the same time protecting you from COVID? What well, do the facts I'm gonna, You know, I kind of run down the middle on things. <laughs> yes, if you were to look at it in the light that you want to look at it, yes. But I do believe that somewhere out there there is a common sense. Um, person that could be a Democratic Party, that could be another party that sees things the same way, 
but right now currently with the statistics and everything yes you can you can lean it that way yeah um to whereas yeah it's yeah. going to be a republican party but i've i've seen some republicans that i've been you know they've been yeah. kind of questionable whether or not they could handle a an yeah. alligator in the swamp basically you know what yeah. i mean yeah so well i understand that i mean i understand that i mean like i said because I just, if you go like I mean, I mean, I'm thinking of one governor, Charles Baker, in Massachusetts. I mean, his record is up there with. I mean, he's up there poking his. He's up there, what I call Andrew Cuomo territory, both in unemployment and you know death per capita. So, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and there certainly have been like, you know, if you look at the data, there have certainly been Democratic governors who got good data. Yeah. Correct. Who've got let's that's say. What, that's... Yeah, but I'm just saying on the average. I mean, you got like 24 Democratic governors. You got 26 Republican governors. We got them side by side. You put an apple to apple comparison, uh, and it's it's there. I mean, you can look at it and just say, okay, here's your apple to comparison. And the two things that I've done consistently, and what I'm trying to do here, is basically state, uh, and not is is look both the economic. And the safety side, because one is equated to the other, because the lockdown, in my view, is killed, is going to be end up killing more people. Oh, I've been with virus, that. Yeah. What the virus yeah. ever do? Yeah. Larry, you're but, I, but I am willing to concede that somewhere out there, there is somebody with some common sense, regardless of their party. We just haven't seen them yet, but I have faith that. Yeah. Well, you know, hopefully there'll way, be though. a mass common sense thing. Yeah. If they can well, find a vaccine uh, for this, they should find a common sense vaccine, you know, or an idiot <laughs> vaccine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, actually, well, you got, you got a good point there. All right, let me put it in your case. Like I said, Dr. Larry, let me answer this question, Dr. Larry, is why haven't we seen more discussion on the economic side of the equation in the fact, because here's the, again, the average unemployment uh, for Republicans are significantly under the national average, 6.5%. Uh, and what I found here, I mean, here's some interesting data. 18 of the 25 lowest unemployment have Republican governors. 18 out of 25. Well, you say, why aren't we hearing more yeah. about that? Uh, yeah. Be, be, I, I guess I would say that the, the reason is because we've narrowed the the field of discussion for the most part uh, down to, to the personalities of the two uh, main contenders, contenders. And, and that is partially the uh, fault of uh, it, it, it's certainly the the uh, goal of, of the uh, of the Democrats to to uh, do that to make that as a uh, the, the, this is basically a uh, is not a for uh, Biden campaign. It's more of against Trump has been right from the beginning, but partially the. Uh, the the bait has been taken by the by the Republicans as well. Instead of talking about the party and about the things that 
that you're talking about, and that uh, and there are a lot more of those. Uh, they've uh, they just they've gone into talking almost exclusively about what what uh, the president has done and and what he's been done in, what's been done in Washington, and not and not through uh, generally the the uh, kind of the uh, way of thinking that that, that the Republicans uh, represent, uh, which is fiscal conservative, you know, cons- fiscal conservatism as well as uh, as well as trying to make uh, free markets work. And I think that I think that that was a mistake. I, th- I think that the, um, the, the the total discussion of, uh, to be about personalities uh, has hurt. The president more than it has hurt uh, Joseph Biden because he's basically been in incognito. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, because here's the thing. To me, because yeah, I can tell you, I know in the beginning you and I got caught with this when we brought this up. It was always, well, you're you're killing people. You know, people are going to die. Uh, you know, how can workers go back to work if we're all going to die going to work? And and. And the two things to me that comes to mind is number one, you know, more people are dying in the very states where you had the toughest lockdowns, mostly Democrats, not all, but mostly the toughest lockdowns. And they also cannot make the case that they somehow another can make the case that they're saving lives. I mean, it's one thing to sit back and say, well, we saved X number of lives, but you didn't really do that at all. Uh, That was always my argument. You know, if you can show me people are going to be saved by doing this, that's fine. But you haven't even proven that point. You you look at these numbers that we've just seen, and when we look at the economic side, it's going to be just as uh, interesting because I, I can tell you right now, you know, you know, one of the numbers that I looked at, you know, we didn't yet get it published, is that in non-lockdown states, your bankruptcy was two-thirds of what it was in in lockdown states. Well, that <clears throat> the, the, all of those arguments have to do with um, with uh, office holders that are below the uh, the president level, and. You know that's that's who we're always talking about. We're always talking about the president, uh, and yeah. so therefore these these people are kind of uh, huh, you know they're kind of stranded. Yeah. Because, because the other the other factor here is that it's not going to be uh, any more interesting and and uh, productive. In in Washington, if if uh, the the Republicans don't win back the Senate and and if, if, if possible to take take the House as well, because uh, if that if if he has to fight uh, both houses of Congress, even if he wins, he's going to have the same kind of nonsense that we've had so far in this in this account. Because remember the. Uh, the the uh impeachment was only was only uh uh lost 
or won, I guess I guess it was lost only because of one one uh vote in the United States Senate. I mean that's how close it came. And you just can't you cannot do that um uh if you have I mean if you if you get a if you get a Senate and a House if you if we had a Repub a Democrat Senate in the in the House at at this at the time of that uh that uh, impeachment, uh, he'd have lost. He he'd have been impeached and, and gone. That's how close it was. Yeah. And, and I agree. Yeah. And so they ought to be talking a lot more about lower about lower uh offices than the presidency, the Senate, the Congress and the governors. The governors have this whole thing has has re, has reinvigorated uh, the entire uh, understanding and actually the power that uh, exists in the in our in our system of government for the governors. You know, they, they have really been highlighted and and uh, and the spotlight has been on the governors more really in a lot of ways more than more than the, than the than the the, the, the uh, central government in Washington. So. Um, that's all very important, and it's being neglected by by the Republican uh, and, and and the Democrat committee. Um, so that's where I stand. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I I would agree. I mean, here's the thing. I mean, this is the thing that always struck me about this whole thing, and I'm going to get Pam in this as well as this. It's also about philosophy in the sense that Republicans were more likely to open up their economy less likely to impose the kind of restrictions that you saw in many blue states. And in the process, they open up their economy. In the process, you know, people, their economy did better and still less people died. And so that to me is the thing that, that, that to me is my translation. My translation is, look, this is what we did on the state level. We basically were able to keep the economy going and not have it totally sink and yet still do a better job of protecting people. Uh, that's, it was my thoughts there. And let's say, okay, Pam, your thoughts. I'm pretty much the same as you are that um, it has to do with more with the philosophical background of whoever is governing you know, uh, you have some governors, and I've seen it, and I know, Dr. Larry, you've seen it too, that they're so scared of liabilities and all this stuff these days that they're still functioning in that manner, um, worried about legal liabilities, this, legal that, legal this, legal that. And uh, then you have other governors going, wait a minute, here's the law, got it, do it. And they have better advisors, like you, you know, pretty much alluded to, there's people below the governorship, below the presidency, that uh, well, probably I mean, are I doing like better. To, yeah, here's the thing. The other thing, too. I think people, if any, the one lesson, a lot of lessons, but one lesson ought to come through is that people should understand these offices matter. The mayor matters. The city council matters. The governor matters. <laughs> now, in the past, I mean, we don't ever think of governors being put in a life and death type of situation that they found themselves with this past year. 
But there were governors who passed the test. There were governors who I would feel that eh, they passed some of it. They didn't pass all of it, but they weren't totally incompetent. And then you have Andrew Cuomo and his like, who just quite frankly was totally incompetent across the board. I mean, he did not, you know, I mean, he did not just, I mean, that's, he's like my poster child for incompetence. Well, would there be a difference between the governors who handle crises, say in like the tornado outbreaks, you know, in your area, these governors that have to deal with this year after year after year, that it's almost a part of their policy plan, the hurricanes, you know, the things like that. Yeah. You would think that California would learn how to deal with wildfires. I'm really upset about that, but you know, hey, well, they choose to do the no burning, you know, which we do yeah. over here. It's kind of yeah. crazy. Um, but well, you, would you think that it would have to do with that? I mean, how how often do they handle crises in some of these states? Well, that's a good point. That's a good point because it's not. I mean, we had one. We had a ratio, very big win that mm-hmm. let's say the governor had to handle in the midst of this. So yeah, I mean, when you have to do these kinds of things and you're used to these things, whether in hurricanes. You know, Florida, South Carolina, you got to do with hurricanes during hurricane season. So I tell you what I got to do here. I'm going to leave that to the last word because we've got, you know, we're pretty much in the show tomorrow night. I'm hoping, you know, that Kyle Hester will be joining us. Uh, Coco hopefully will be recovered. Uh, we'll be back. I want to talk to Dr. Larry for pitch hitting. Uh, Pam, the swamp girl from pitch hitting. Uh, great and wonderful discussion. And uh, stay tuned. On this network, it's the, the, you and the law. And don't forget, 3 a.m., 10 a.m., every day, bachelornews.airtime.pro. You can listen to this show. Thank you very much, and good night. Night. Welcome, everyone, to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. We're glad everyone is tuning in uh, with us today. And uh, we want to remind our listeners that the calling number to the show is uh, 646-929-0130. That's 646-929-0130. And uh, if you don't follow us on social media, we want to let you know that you can follow you and the law on our social media platforms, and you can follow us on Facebook at you and the law. You can follow us on Instagram at you underscore and the law, and you can also follow us on Twitter at you the law one. So go to our social media platforms and like our pages and follow us. And uh, if you've got any comments or 
suggestions, please leave those on our Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, whichever one that you use a lot. And um, so, uh, we, again, uh, we're just uh, excited to be with you guys today. we got a good show. Uh, Chief Swag, brother, how you doing? What's up, man? What's up? What's up, man? How you doing, brother Green? Is man, everything I'm, okay, I, man? I'm ex- I'm excited, man. I'm excited. Yeah, man. We we're gonna have a good show. We got a we got a guest that's gonna uh, come on the show and uh, and talk to us about some uh, a very important topic in the law enforcement uh, community, and that is going to be uh, law enforcement uh, mental health and wellness, and because. As you know, Keith, uh, officers are under a lot of strain uh, with uh, a lot of things that go on with the job, with just the day-to-day of of the duties. But in the height of all of the uh, uh, protesting going on and a lot of uh, things that officers are dealing with, uh, you know, I think it's something that uh, needs to be talked about is that the officer's wellness and how are they dealing with that and how our agencies are or uh, implementing programs to deal with uh, officer wellness. And as you know, this is one of the six pillars of the 21st century community policing. Yeah, man. You know, uh, uh, President Obama in 2015, when he uh, convened that committee, that was one of the, for the first time in the history of law enforcement, we have been focused on uh, on officer wellness. And we're not talking about the physical aspect of it. We're talking about the emotional and the, mental aspect. So, man, I got my good friend on the line. Rick, you there? Rick Rick Anderson, I believe, is going to be joining us today on You and the Law uh, on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Uh, and he's going to be talking with us about officer wellness. Are uh, you there, Rick? Well, I don't think he has joined us quite yet. Uh, Hello? He's quiet. Oh, there he is. There, there he is. is. There he yeah. is. Yeah. Right here. I had to I had to unmute. Sorry about that. All right. Yeah. <laughs> glad glad it's you right, uh, glad to, glad you could join us on You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network, sir. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. All right. And and Chief Sway, we'll let you introduce our our guest to our listeners today and he can tell us he can tell our listeners about uh his background and what he does. Yeah, I'll just talk a little bit about Rick. I met Rick about four years ago when I was in Norman, and I was really impressed with the program that Rick was that the uh, Rick is uh, associated with. And it focuses on officer wellness, not just officer wellness, but our first responders, that being military and local uh, law enforcement or whomever. Uh, and I went out and visited the facility. And, ha- you know, how sometimes you hear about facilities that uh, are – uh, you know that have these that uh, that are geared toward um, mental illness, and the first thing you think about is asylums or you know these hideous um, facilities. But you're talking about a beautiful facility that's conducive into that's conducive to uh, support. And so, Rick, if you talk a little bit about what you do and the importance of it, and uh, and uh, your passion, if you would. Okay. All right, yes. Uh, First of all, thank you guys for what you do so much. Thank you for putting this on. I think it's well needed, and uh, hopefully we'll move on from this. My background, I've been working at Northwest at the Pavilion, the behavioral health piece, for 33 years. Uh, I'm a medic, 
and also uh, prior service uh, United States Army. And we started this program for military and first responders probably about eight years ago. And it's really designed for members that are having any kind of issues dealing with PTS, chemical dependency, stress, anxiety, of course, PTS. Uh, there's so much going on out in the world right now. So what we want to do is we just want to be a resource and be available for people to come in and seek that treatment. Our unit has 16 beds, and is it, uh, that unit is designated for first responders, military. We have a lot of veterans guys uh, from the VA that are in there. We have correctional officers. Sometimes we have trauma nurses, uh, that whole whole garage of uh, first responders and, of course, military. And one of the unique things that we do is we are able to treat a dual diagnosis. And I know a lot of facilities out there really don't address that. And when I say dual diagnosis, I mean individuals that are suffering from uh, substance abuse, chemical dependency, and have some mental issues going on, whether it be depression, suicidal ideation. A lot of times what they're doing is self-medicating because ha they have one of those other issues going on. Okay. Okay. So, well, Rick, so, talk about how you – I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go no, ahead, go, Bert. No, go ahead, sir. Go ahead. No, I, I insist you go ahead, man. I don't, no, you have it. <laughs> no, so, Rick, I, I was just – so when, when it comes to officer wellness in, uh, in the programs that some are – are you all involved with, with agencies in, in that part of the, the state, in, in Texas, or with any kind of wellness programs? Uh, that that you guys go in and talk to them about or assist them with? Absolutely. Like our local police department, we are very involved with them. Of course, those guys, they have the CIT, the crisis intervention team, they're in our facility all the time. And then I meet with them quite often, uh, the, the CIT guys and the other piece of the PD and their chief. Uh, just making sure that they understand what we have to offer and and uh, letting guys know that we're there for them and that we're willing to help them and we'll do whatever we can to help them. One of the issues, of course, is um, um, uh, people coming in. Our PD would prefer to go to another facility because of the fear of someone seeing them there. But uh, I keep pounding on that door just to make sure that we're going to keep, that they know we're going to keep everything confidential uh, and they can come in and receive that treatment. And of course, no one is going to know that they're there uh, receiving that treatment. We do the same thing for the correctional facilities in the area, uh, the fire department, the medics, the, the whole nine. So, we will put together a training piece, whatever they feel that they need, and we'll go in and present that and, of course, do a, a Q&A and just uh, really, really break it down to what we do as far as treatment. But, again, that first piece is one of the most important pieces, especially for local. Okay. Chief Swag. 
Yeah, I just say, Rick, I want I want to tell you, I was really impressed. Uh, you know, with the facilities, and I think Virgin's about time for us to go to a break, isn't it? And we'll uh, yeah, come back. We're, yeah, we're yeah we're six ten. So uh, you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Hey, this is Craig Bachelor. This is Kevin Bachelor. Hey, you listening to the Bachelor Pad Show with my dad, L.A. Bachelor, on the Bachelor Pad Radio Network. If you want real discussions on politics, social issues, racial issues, and other topics, then tune into the Bachelor News Radio Show. Listen live every Monday and Thursday from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern at blogtalkradio.com. And if you miss the show, you can listen every Monday through Saturday at 8 a.m. and 3 p.m. Eastern and every Sunday at 5 a.m. and 3 p.m. at thebachelornews.airtime.pro. Listen and be informed. We want to welcome all of our listeners back to you and the Long, the Bachelor News Radio Network. Uh, We want to remind our listeners that the call-in number to the show is 646-929-0130. That's 646-929-0130. And if you uh, got a, a comment or uh, the, the chat room is open, if you would like to send your messages to the chat room or to the email and uh, let the producer know that you got a comment, you want to come on the air and talk with us, uh, please do so. But uh, want to remind, today we have a, a guest on the show, uh, Mr. Rick Anderson. He is out of Amarillo, Texas, and he's talking with us about uh, officer wellness and and what is going on in in, in the in the law enforcement industry when uh, dealing with uh, police stress and mental health. You know what, Virgil, if I, if I may, you know, Rick, you said something earlier that was really, I think, really important. Uh, could you kind of could you kind of expound a little bit? how important the confidentiality part of this is and what that means to um, helping our first responders, our, our officers in on the, on the healing process. Could you, could you talk about that? Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, as far as the facility goes, uh, chief, we're, we're bound by law as far as HIPAA is concerned to maintain a person's confidentiality. I know it's a little difficult for local law enforcement because they're in our facility so much, and we're a major medical facility as well, so they're in our ER all the time, and, you know, their their wives, their girlfriends, and their friends work at the facility, so they have this underlying fear, I think, that somehow that information would slip out to the public that that they were in the hospital seeking treatment. I don't think it's as bad as it used to be, uh, but, it, but it, it's still an issue uh, with just how these guys feel. And part of my job is just to make sure that they're comfortable and that they know that, that you know, again, we're bound by law and we're not going to let that information go out. You know, if someone is in our facility especially locally, people that know the name Pavilion, if they need a note to return to work or something like that, it's not going to say Pavilion on it at all. It's going to say Northwest Texas Healthcare System, which would mean they could be anywhere in the facility and not just in the, not in the uh, Pavilion piece of it. I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done with that. 
as, especially locally. You know, I travel to Norman and OKC and Wichita Falls and places like that, and it's not that much of an issue. Um, but locally, it's still something that we're battling with just the mindset that officers have. So, 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 Rick, if you could tell the listeners, what what are some of the, um, you know, what what would someone uh, want to come in for the long term um, uh, process? I mean, what give me give us an example of something uh, that you that, okay. that you all would yeah. Yeah, mostly long term would be like for substance abuse or dual diagnosis. They would come in and they would be at the facility at least 30 days. And, of course, they, uh, we have a team meeting. They see their psychiatrist every day. They meet with their therapist every day. And once they get towards that, like that 30 days, they're being evaluated the whole way, uh, every step of their stay there. And if it gets to the end and they're not ready to go, then we're just going to we're gonna keep them until they're ready to go. We're certainly not going to allow somebody to leave the facility that is uh, that may have thoughts of harming themselves or someone else. So that process is really done by them meeting with the doctor every day. Uh, and, of course, on the other side of that, if it's uh, suicidal ideation or PTS or stress or anxiety, we're doing the same thing. Although, although those stays are shorter, uh, maybe like 14 days or less, just kind of really depends on where they are when they come into the facility and how hard they're working on their issues. So is this voluntary, so, involuntary, or both? It's both. Okay. I do. Okay. I do have to. I do have to put out there, uh, and it's it's a kind of a crazy Texas law that we can't have someone come in to the facility across state lines involuntary. So coming outside of the state, they have to be voluntary. Okay. Okay. Because I know throughout the nation there's there's several of these type of programs. And as a matter of fact, I know a couple of uh, officers that basically said these programs saved their lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. We we don't again. We don't see that many um, police officers. We you know we have a, a, a couple of sheriffs and a couple of medics and correctional officers. We have a lot of VA and uh, active duty military. But um, at the same, the the reason we group these people together is because they have some of the same type of issues. They see some of the same types of things out in the field, whether it be uh, out in the battlefield. Uh, what you guys are doing right now is especially a battlefield. Uh, so they see some of the same kind of issues, and they suffer from some of the same kind of uh, stressors and, you know, uh, PTS-type symptoms. So, so Rick, I want to, you know, since you brought that up about you don't see a lot of police officers uh, or people in, in law enforcement in general, uh, you know, there's this, this stigma that police officers, they just don't typically uh, share their some concerns about their mental health or concerns about other crises that they're dealing with. Um, that, that stigma can really uh, cause, you know, some officers to, to have some prolonged uh, issues. So how... What is being done to try to 
encourage officers to uh, to really, even if it's done in private, to seek some type of, of, of help uh, to, to cope with everything that they're dealing with. Because as you know, you know, we sometimes you see a lot of angry police officers on videos and you kind of wonder, you know, what is going on with this guy? It, you know, a typical traffic stop shouldn't turn into you, you know, cursing and shouting and dragging somebody out of the car. So, so that tends to lead you to believe that, that there's something else going on with this, with this person that maybe somebody is overlooking. Plus also, can you talk about signs that, you know, and again, it goes back to the stigma of, of the profession that we're in where maybe his partner, maybe a supervisor, maybe other people are just overlooking some, some symptoms that they need to be really addressing. Okay. Uh, yeah, the first part of that is education, Chief. It, it's education. It's education. It's really kind of uh, uh, staying in their face, so to speak, and meeting with them often, just making sure that they know that there could potentially be some kind of issue. I I think I sit on a board, and we haven't been able to meet in a while, but I sit on a board uh, here in Amarillo that's our regional law enforcement academy. And I chose to do that or I agreed to do that because I felt it was important to kind of reach out to these guys and maybe touch some of these guys before they ever, ever get out in the field uh, and just remind them how important their mental health is. I mean, I'm preaching to the choir, but you guys know that you really have to be firing on all cylinders, you know, not just your, your police training or your physical fitness training, but your middle status has to be right there with that because uh, the, the quick decisions that you guys have to make and people have to be, uh, have to be on the same page with that, so to speak. But again, mm-hmm. it's education, uh, meeting with peers, uh, peer team members, uh, if they have a chaplain, making sure that I meet with the chaplain because in my experience, more than likely they would go to a chaplain before they would go to their chief or their chief deputy or their sergeant or something like that uh, and, and let them know what's going on with them. But it's a tough group. It's just a tough group. And that stigma with those guys, they work hard, and then sometimes they play hard, and then sometimes, like you said, a simple stop can turn into something way more than what it should. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And especially with, you know, we're, we're seeing so many officers being, you know, confronted doing protesting and there's a lot of, you, you have to, you know, the job requires you to, to, to keep your composure, but at, at some point you, you know, under any normal circumstances, somebody is going to, 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 to kind of lose their temper and whether they do it, with another citizen or they may do it at home, you know, around their wife and kids or, or whatever, just, you know, uh, so, but that's something that really needs to be addressed because, you know, we've got a a younger generation. Plus we have a generation of of people that's in law enforcement that that comes from the military. Right. Right. And I think the more stressed people are, the more they're likely to react in a different way than they normally would if they weren't stressed or carrying around 
some type of baggage that may be um, chemical dependent uh, related, or it may just be, it may be something like you said, it may be something going on at home that they're carrying that around. I think there needs to be wellness checks on, you know, all first responders. Um, maybe it needs to be quarterly. I don't know. I don't want to get into how often that needs to be done, but I think it needs to be done more often than what it is. Yeah, yeah Keith, that's a, he brought up a good, uh, a good uh, point. You know, is that something that what, – what's your take on um, agencies having programs put in place to where there, there's more – you know, evaluations throughout the year and not just sometimes when something happens related to a shooting. Uh, what's your take on that? Should, should there be programs? I think in- yeah, I think the early intervention program is part of that, peer support, you know, the uh, uh, peer-on-peer is part of that. The, the problem that I, I've had this discussion with peers throughout the country, their biggest concern is when you start doing that, what happens if you have someone that, and, and I'm all for it. I, I'm, I'm a thousand percent for it. But some of the, you know, my peers are concerned if you start doing that, you might have someone who may try to take advantage of this, and next thing you know, they're going out on a medical uh, based on the fact that they're trying to, they're saying that they are, not, not the fact that it's, it's uh, authentic and there really is a problem, uh, that they are in crisis and crises, and they do need uh, some intervention. But the fact you do have those individuals that would take advantage of it and try to beat the system, and possibly go on long-term disability, a long-term, um, long-term, you know, extended leave, or even a medical retirement. So that's the biggest mm-hmm. concern. But uh, and, and, and that is those are those are some things that should concern chiefs, but. We've got to figure out a way. Um, I think the way the program is constructed also uh, can also help us in getting the buy-in from the officers because if they can, if it's confidential and they can trust the individuals who run the program, then I think we'll get more buy-in that way also. No, okay, yeah, that's a good point. Well, hey guys, we're going to be coming up on a, a break here in just a little bit, but. Uh, you know, we want to let our listeners know that you're listening to you and the law on the Bachelor the News Radio Network. And the uh, calling number to the show is 646-929-0130. That's 646-929-0130. And if you are coming in, uh, listening to the show, uh, if you uh, missed the first part of the show, you can catch our rebroadcast shows uh, Monday, uh, every pretty much seven days a week. Uh, from 4 a.m. to 6 p.m., and you can catch those at the bachelornews.airtime.pro. That's the bachelornews.airtime.pro. So, Keith, we're going to take this break, and we're going to be back with our guests and wrap this up, but you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Join Barry Barnes for Locker Talk on the Bachelor Pad Network as he presents NFL news and evaluates players Fridays at 9 a.m. Eastern at blogtalkradio.com. Greetings and great day, everyone. I am Elder Janelle Strickland, host of the Life Cafe radio broadcast, 
for Maximizing Life Family Worship Center. I invite you to tune in every Saturday from 5 to 6 p.m. Tune in, maximize your life with the Word of God, and be blessed. Only on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Welcome, everyone, back to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Uh, today, we had a we have a special guest on the show with us by Rick Anderson. He is with uh, uh, a great uh, group of people out of Amarillo that's doing some great work with uh, police, uh, law enforcement and first responders and military related to wellness and uh, mental health. And so, Rick, uh, we're, we're just glad to have you on the show today, sir. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. If I could, I'd like to piggyback up on something Chief Humphreys was saying. Yeah, go go right ahead. Uh, When he was talking about intervention, I think one of the pieces that might help is more training. Unfortunately, right now, we're not able to have like a lot of trainings. I attend the Blue Help Conference and I attend the COPS Conference, and it's it's an opportunity I think for officers to actually get get that type of training and a lot of discussion about wellness. And I think also during that time that it could be reiterated that this is to help you. This is to help your career. This is to help you have a long career. Uh, we see a lot of people, military speaking, that come in and they want to play the system and things like that. And of course, if they're not fit to, for duty, then they're, they are being discharged. And it may be a medical, it, it, it may not be. But the question that I always have, especially with these military guys coming in, is do you actually want to still be in the service? So, and I kind of think maybe we could ask the same question of officers. Do you actually want to still be an officer? Do you want to have a 20, 30-year career? Do you want to move up in the ranks and those types of things? And and if they're not, maybe maybe then that's not the place for them. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree with him on that, man. And uh, Rick, do you have any final any final comments? No, uh, I just kind of want to reinforce that, you know, Chief, you've got my number and uh, my email. And if there's anybody that is seeking any kind of treatment, uh, especially if they would like to be far away, and sometimes I think that's the best thing is to get as far away from the issues as possible. It may be family. It may be friends or coworkers or whatever, and just get in an environment that's a way that you can actually relax and and start to work on whatever the issues are that you need to work on to get back uh, fit for duty in that full strength. Rick, I tell you, man, our producer, man, L.A., L.A.'s got a question, man. You think I got swag? Wait till you hear this guy. Go ahead, L.A. Uh-oh. <laughs> well, I, I, I thank you guys for um, taking the call. And hold on one second here. I think we got my ping here. Make sure I got. Uh, sorry about that. With the yeah, echo, got, trying to take the speed back off. Yeah, we got a little echo there. Yeah. 
So I was wondering, um, the, I guess the question I have for you, sir, and I appreciate what you're doing, is the, the, the fact if you have someone that comes to you in privacy uh, because they're going through a mental course, um, if they have thoughts of violence or harm, harming themselves, or more importantly, sometimes in this climate, wanting to harm someone or a group. We've seen these crazies in Michigan trying to kidnap the governor, which, again, if it wasn't for the idiot in the White House, I would say that's crazy, but nothing's crazy now. So if you get someone like that, what do you, what, what's your obligation to tell, say, Chief Humphrey or Chief Green that they have an officer that saying they want to go out and kill some people, huh? I mean, is that immediate or is it, or is it something, um, I, I'm just, I, I, it may sound stupid, but is it sort of HIPAA related? Like you, you can only give certain type of information. How does that work? Uh, not at that point. Not for me. If, if someone came to me in private and when I'm out doing trainings, when I do my presentation, most people will, catch me afterward and pull me to the side and they'll say whatever they have to say. But if someone makes a, has made a threat like that, then I feel like I'm obligated to push that on to the chief, uh, especially if they're talking about harming someone else. So it would be immediate for me. Okay. No. Okay. Yeah, makes sense. Thank you so much. Well, okay. Uh, you're welcome. Well, and, and you know, Rick, you know that that question that LA asked about, you know, when if you have somebody who uh, is showing, you know, they may say certain things, and you may pick up on that. But and and as you know, that this is a profession where it is that that macho image comes across, and that you know, officers are always helping somebody else, but oftentimes. You'll see, you know, somebody they need the same type of help, and so that can be kind of uh, detriment to the community because you've got somebody who is helping people, but they're also uh, showing signs that they need help. So that, that's something that I think, you know, our supervisors or leadership people that, that are in uh, command staff really should pay more attention to uh, to make sure that. You know, officers are out in the public, and that they're providing the service uh, that that is required of them. Uh, but also that they're able to deal with those traumatic issues and those crises that they're dealing with. Absolutely. And again, you know, I, I certainly understand that you know someone could just be maybe shooting off at the mouth, and they really don't mean what they're saying. But that kind of puts me in a position to where I've been around mental health for quite a while, and I'm pretty decent at kind of reading reading that. If, if it came to a situation to where I wasn't sure, I could certainly put in a call back to the hospital to one of our therapists, and, and I, I don't have to give any names or anything like that. I could just talk about the situation and the comments that were made, and then we could make a quick decision but again, if it's someone that is uh, um, threatening harm against the community or someone else, then I'm really liable to pass that on. It's just like 
when, you know, we have HIPAA and there has to be a release of information and all that, but, like, if the police are looking for someone and they think they might be in our facility that has committed a crime, then we really have to disclose that information to them. So to me, it's kind of the same thing. Yeah. Well, you yeah, know, it's, Rick, no, you it's know. no different. It's no, yeah, it's no different than, uh, you know, if, if yeah, I mean, and it should be that way. You know, we understand confidentiality, but when someone uh, has committed a crime and they can't hide behind that level of confidentiality or wellness, uh, it, thinking that nobody's going to report that. I mean, so, yeah, that, that's a good point. I'm glad L.A. brought that up. Yeah, and, and one of the things you know, I want to share with uh, with our listeners uh, is that, you know, this is a study that uh, data that came from a 2019 uh, with uh, Blue Health. Uh, they're a, a first responder uh, mental health organization that tracks suicide among law enforcement agencies across the country. And in, and in uh, 2019, there was over, you know, 228 police officers you know, died by suicide. So, you know, that's a lot of numbers, uh, a lot of officers that, that died by suicide in one year. So uh, that just goes to show you there's a lot of other things that's going on. And, and I'm not a mental health profession. Uh, uh, Keith, I'm pretty sure you're not, but we're, we've got one on the line. But there there is a lot of things that, that is going on in, in the law enforcement community uh, that really needs to be, uh, focused on, especially when you have uh, a higher, you know, 228 officers committing suicide in one year. Yeah, I yeah, get that is, report man. too, sir, and and that that number is is way too high. It's going up, and I can only just guess that it's going to even be higher than it has been in previous years because of all of these things that are going on. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Well, hey, Rick, uh, you know, we uh, definitely – we're glad to get you finally on the show because we were supposed to have you on the show uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, we had uh, some miscommunication, and we'll put it off on, on T-Swag that he didn't uh, tell you the right day to be on the show. But, but, but brother, we're glad. <laughs> I, I got, those, well, I got well. those big enough shoulders I can carry that, man. I can carry that. I got, I got this. <laughs> Uh, well, Chief, I'm, you know, I'm not going to let it stay that way. It was my fault. <laughs> well, hey, no, man, man it was just a miscommunication, man. Yeah, yeah. We're glad glad to have you on the show and, and, and to talk to our listeners about uh, what you do and, and the great job you guys are doing in, in Amarillo. And, uh, but, you know, it's a pleasure, definitely a pleasure to have you on the show. And if you, you got any uh, final comments you'd like to have before uh, before we uh, continue on. Okay, yeah, the, the last thing I'd like to say is, you know, I've been working with my facility about stretching out uh, my territory to, you know, visit, especially in this climate. I've, I've really been pushing this to visit more of the bigger cities that have had experiences with riots and things like that because we don't see that much of that out here in West Texas. We're pretty rural and, you know, smaller towns and things like that. So I would love to come and visit you guys and just, you know, address the officers or hire, uh, the, the peer support team or the chaplains or just whoever you thought would uh, benefit from that. 
Okay. All right. Well, sounds good. Sounds good. Well, well, Rick, uh, thank you again. And uh, T Swag, uh, we'll let you. Uh, you got any any final comments? No, with man. Our, yes. No, man. Rick know what Rick knows. Rick know how I feel about him, man. I'm really impressed with him. I love my brother. He is. Uh, we become really good friends, and uh, he does a lot of work to help people get better. Uh, he's very. He takes passion about this, man. He travels. Uh, all over, and uh, whenever he was in Oklahoma, he never missed a chance to sit down and talk with, with me and my staff. So, Rick, I miss you, man, and uh, good luck to you. Thank you so much, Chief, and I hope to see you soon. All, all right, right man, thanks you again, Rick, and we'll, we'll definitely have you back on the show. All righty. Thank you, sir. All right, thanks. Well, Chief Swag, man, uh, you know, we're going to jump into a topic that was – that was uh, a hot topic last uh, last week, and uh, you know, as today, you know, a lot of states, especially Texas and so many other states, Georgia, everybody is doing early voting, and there's long voting lines, and we talked a, uh, a lot, and we had a lot of listeners that came on that was talking about, you know, uh, their concerns with what law enforcement can and cannot do. At the at the polling uh, at the polling places, so um, you know I think that again this is going to be something that is going to all the way up until November the third is going to be a hot topic, uh, especially how law enforcement is is going to manage manage that and respond to things that may that may occur, especially with these homegrown terrorist uh, groups that are already said that they're going to show at some of these polling places. Uh, like the Proud Boys and some other some other groups. So um, we're going to come up, Keith. We're coming up on our uh, on our break, but uh, we're going to definitely jump back into that topic uh, when we come back from the break. But you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. This is Chicago-style hot dog here. I'm not feeling too good. Turns out, along with all the other bad things my cholesterol does, they say it's a risk factor for strokes. Strokes? Sheesh! Good news from National Stroke Association. Exercising, eating right, and asking your doctor about medicines that can help lower your cholesterol, like statins, may reduce the risk of a first stroke. And if you've already had a stroke, it's even more important you lower your cholesterol. Lower your chances of stroke by controlling your cholesterol. Visit stroke.org today. Taste and health. You want both in one cranberry juice? You want Northland. Northland has a kick to it. I like that. It says 100% juice on their label. That tells me it's healthy. Cranberry raspberry, cranberry grape. I love all their flavors. Northland, a great taste and the health benefits of cranberry. Only Northland has 27% cranberry in all nine of its 100% juice cranberry blends. I choose Northland because it fits my healthy lifestyle. Northland, 100% juice, 100% refreshing. Welcome back 
to the show. It's you and the law. One of the hottest and best shows, uh, keeping it real, um, here on the Bass News Radio Network. Six four six nine two nine zero one three zero. The number to get in touch with Chief uh, Virgil Green and Chief Keith Swag Humphrey. Giving it to you and uh, changing gears. Don't forget uh, you can also hit them on their Facebook page and you can uh, hit us up too uh, on uh, Pat Nation and email us uh, if you're interested in getting your voice on, not just on the phone, but make sure that you hit us up at labachelor40 at gmail.com back to the best and coolest Chiefs that I know well hey man and Chief Keith Swag Humphrey Man, we, we appreciate that intro. Yeah, we, like, appreciate we, you, we appreciate you, man. We appreciate you. We appreciate you. Hey, man. That, 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 cool, that cool jazz background, man, that just, that, that's all right right there. Yeah. So, hey, we want to welcome our listeners back to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Uh, we want to remind our listeners that the call-in number to the show is 646-929-0130. And uh, if you are just now coming on and catching the show, uh, we want to remind you that you can check out the uh, rebroadcast um, from uh, 4 a.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at the bachelornews.airtime.pro. That's the bachelornews.airtime.pro. And um, as uh, L.A. shared with you, definitely go to our social media platform and like our social media pages and leave us a comment, messages, or whatever you got to say to us, and uh, we'll, we definitely enjoy uh, reading your comments and getting back with you uh, on on topics that are related to law enforcement. But, Keith, we're going to – we had our guests on talking about wellness and, and mental health with officers. Now we're going to switch up gears the last part of the show and talk about uh, this topic of um, how law enforcement are going to be responding to uh, to to, to – to the voters at the polls and, and uh, ultimately how law enforcement is going to be responding to people that may show up at the polls to uh, cause some type of uh, incite, some type of uh, disruption with, with people standing in lines at the polls. Yeah. You know, you know, Virgil, man, I, I feel really bad for everybody, man. You know, yeah. People that just want to go and vote, you know, they, they want peace to be able to exercise their, the right to vote, you know, those rights that so many people of color died for and were put in jail and things for. So people want to do that. You know, unfortunately, I've had to cancel leave for my officers because we just, it's unexpected. We don't know what's going to happen. Uh, we don't know yeah. what's going to happen leading up to the elections. We don't know what's going to happen, happen after the elections. We just know we have to be prepared. You know, we're having meetings to discuss, uh, preparedness and things like that I, i've never seen it like this and and it's just you know it's it's another thing that's splitting uh that's that's splitting the nation splitting the country uh not on yeah splitting the country not only it puts it's putting law enforcement in that light of uh, you know are they are they interfering with a person's constitutional rights you know is it you know is that uh, you know, is this a criminal action? Officers even get involved, and so it's really, uh, it's a sad time in our nation right now uh, when you have to have meetings to talk about uh, 
safety on an election night. That's that's yeah. you know it it infringes upon the it infringes upon the on so many people, and so that's that's the sad thing about this. And and one of the things that you know that I've seen, especially today, you know, started out early voting in Texas and seeing some of the uh, some of the news about the long lines in Texas and in in, in Georgia where uh, people are standing in line for hours and hours. And people are not getting out of those lines. I saw a deal with Roland Martin earlier where he was talking about, you know, he was at the polling place and, you know, there was up to, you know, a two or three hour wait, you know. Uh, so, but the concern with with that is that you've got these, uh, these uh, extremist groups who are basically taking it upon themselves because of, of the rhetoric that has come from the president about, um, you know, uh, sending in uh, law enforcement to these polling places. And, and you've got some people that are taking it upon themselves to, to take their own action. But, and that's going to cause a problem with local law enforcement because if you've got individuals who are showing up heavily armed and wearing military-type uh, uh, gear, uh, how is the law enforcement going to deal with that? You know, because again, I think they're going to be there to intimidate people that are standing in line. But at some point, you know, some of those people standing in line is are not it will will not just stand quietly and just you know say you know hey you do your thing we do ours. No, they're not. And and I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and she was saying that she waited in line almost two hours, but she felt that. That's what she needed to do uh, to exercise her right, and she felt, you know, that basically, you know, even telling their kids, "Hey, you got to, this is a priority, and, and and you have to make the time to vote." And so, LA, you got mm-hmm. a question? I think I LA has you, a question you, for our listeners. You, you caught me off guard, Swag. Um, <laughs> it, it's um, so a lot of people were asking, and it's an important question. How do you feel uh, in terms of your own safety? I mean, if even if you have to get out there, not to say that you guys don't go out there and, and get on the grind um, because you do have, you know, officers, but if you're out there, how do you feel about your family? I mean, it's um, COVID-19 is one thing about you taking yourself out there every day and 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 risking the fact that you might bring that home, but now you got these Klansmen out here that are running around wanting to kill people and shoot people, which of course takes away from your your funding. I think you guys talked about that last week on my broadcast. Um, but mm-hmm. how do you guys feel in terms of your personal safety going out there knowing that these groups? And oh, by the way, these groups that are not just doing this. To, to stop voting and harassing people, they're in it for the long term. They want this is this is the divide. It, it all the news says that all the FBI stuff that I read that you guys said said that they're they're not just here for the short term guys. Uh, they're here for the long term. And, and before you answer, I just want to let people know if you're on the line, you have a question for Chief Green or Chief Humphrey. I'm going to screen the call, so I'll, I'll announce your area code, not your um, your whole number, and if you want to talk, say yes. If not, no, and you can stay on the line. Uh, go ahead, guys. Thank you. Okay. Go ahead, Keith. I'll let you pick up on that. Well, 
Well, that's a good question, man. You know, and, and we know every day we go out here that our that our it's, it's dangerous and that you know we have to be careful and and that's why I always stress and I've always made a you know point to make sure uh, you you tell your family you love them before you go out and, and we know that. Um, but what we don't need at this time, we don't need this added pressure of individuals who are claiming to be providing security and fighting for their rights on behalf of um, illicit and um, uh, illegal uh, beliefs. And so uh, we understand First Amendment. I've said that all, I've said it, I understand the First Amendment, respect it, people do have that right, but when you tie violence into that, and you basically are saying that you feel as though you have to commit violence in order to maintain your uh, identity or your so-called superiority, that's when it becomes a problem. So now what you're doing is not only are you putting families in, in danger, you're putting law enforcement officers in danger, you're putting people in danger who should have a right to go and vote or have a right to be out on the street and be or have a right to, 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 to feel free to, to, to um, follow laws. There you're putting those people in danger. So, yeah, it, it is a heightened level of security, a high, alert, high a level of alertness. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, this is what we train for. Uh, this, is what we, uh, this is what we hire people. This is what we pay the extra training for. Uh, this is what um, all, the, all the details, all the discussions, all the meetings, uh, that's why we have preparedness. And so, uh, uh, you know, it's, uh, this is the new norm in the nation, and, and I think that we're doing a good job being prepared for it. It, it, you know, I want to say this, uh, L.A., and to our listeners that, you know, one of the things that, that I have a concern with is the fact that you, the rhetoric of, you know, Democrat, Republicans, and you get these, everybody who wants to label you as, oh, you sound like a Republican or you sound like a Democrat and all, all these liberals or whatever they want to come up with. But, you know, this is about the fundamental right for people to, to go to a polling place and not to fear any kind of intimidation and not to, to feel like, you know, I'm standing in line. Will I be subject to some, some nut driving down the street, you know, popping off shots or, you know, we could be standing in line and next thing you know, you've got this gunfire that's going off somewhere. And then you got people just running everywhere trying to get away. And, and so that's something that, that people really need to, you know, Everybody has the right to go vote. Whoever you want to choose or, to vote, or for. being intimidated, or being intimidated, Virgil, not to even show up to vote. Yeah, exactly. Because again, especially for a lot of older people, they're going to probably have that that attitude that if I've got to go stand in line, I may not want to go do this. So, you know, again, and and but the role of law enforcement is what is what is going to be the role of law enforcement, and because. You know, especially in our major cities, Keith, you know, Philadelphia, you know, L.A., Chicago, where, you know, their resources are already stretched pretty thin. And now you've got this, this added heightened sense of the spotlight on people standing in line to vote. I think what what is your – should agencies 
come up with some strategic plan already to to say this is how we're going to address it and not to say that we got officers there to watch people, but maybe just come up with some type of a strategy to say we're want to we want to make sure voters are safe, so this is what we're going to do. Yeah, you better. Uh, I think all chiefs, are that, that's what's going on throughout the nation now. Uh, I think the chiefs have uh, become in tune to what's going on, and I think we're having, I, I can tell you right now, uh, those type of meetings are going on throughout the nation, uh, whether it's a, a joint uh, effort, whether it's, a, you know, whatever. Those meetings are, are, are taking place, and you better believe that the FBI's phone numbers are, phones are ringing off the hooks by chiefs and uh, uh, other law enforcement executives and city officials to, okay, what's going on? What can we do? Give us some guidance. So I think, yeah. I think you, there's a lot of talking and preparation going on right now. Yeah. Hey, uh, we want to remind our listeners that you're listening to you on the law on the back of the news radio network and the calling number to the show is 646-929-0130. And if you've got a, a, a question or a comment, chat room is open. You can leave uh, leave your comments there, and we'll get them on air. And uh, but we're coming up on the you know last leg of the show, and we definitely want to you know let our listeners know that um, you know this is a, a topic that is, you know is, is really important, especially when we talk about um, you know protecting people uh, at at the polling places. So. Again, um, you know, you know go ahead, Keith. Hey, Virgin, you know, Ronald, Ronald brings up a good point. Uh, Ronald says that uh, white supremacists are already getting licenses uh, to protest. And, you know, the thing about it is um, that the, we can deal with the individuals who are getting the licenses to protest the permits because we know. You know who they are. Yeah. It is, we know who they are. We know it's at least somewhat organized. The ones that scare me are the counter protesters who don't want to follow the rules and get the and get the thing. So yes, there are those. I'm not too much worried about the ones that I am worried. Um, I'm concerned, but I worry about the ones who show up. The counter protesters who don't want to have, uh, don't want to follow the rules and get the permits. And I will tell you right now, you're going to see officers. Uh, Michael has a good point about social be on distancing. guard for social distancing. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've got a mandate that uh, officers wear uh, wear masks, and, and we try to maintain that social distance. And unfortunately, there are people that will will crowd your space. So we still have to protect ourselves with the proper PPE, whether those are shields, whether those are masks, gloves, or whatever. Uh, you better believe that that uh, our officers are going to be wearing the proper attire to uh, reduce their chances of of um, uh, catching the uh, uh, the coronavirus. Yeah. And, and I'll say this before we, uh, you know, the end of the show, Keith. One of the things I think that's going to that's really a concern for law enforcement is the fact that you've got so many of these homegrown uh, domestic groups who they are looking just like law enforcement. The only difference is you may not see, you know, police or SWAT or something on the back of their their shirt or jacket or whatever it may camouflage, but. It is really hard for people to really distinguish between who these individuals are and and the real police because they are looking so much like the police. And the fact that you even got some police who uh, are not really uh, identifying themselves, uh, you know, with with certain uniforms. So I think that's another concern that people are really having 
across the country, especially with what happened in in Denver over the, over this past weekend, is that you've got a lot of people that are showing up, and and they're looking similar to what what our police officers are looking like. Yeah, you, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, uh, Keith, you know, man, this has been a, another great show, uh, you know, uh, with our listeners, and hopefully, uh, you know, we've shared some things with our listeners that is very informative to, to them. And, uh, you know, again, if you've got any comments or uh, questions uh, that we couldn't get to you on air, definitely go to our Facebook page and, and like our page and leave those comments and questions and we'll definitely respond to you. But, uh, you know, again, this is, you know, Keith, I, you know, I think this is something that, you know, I think our listeners are definitely engaged in something we'll definitely uh, pick back up and, and talk about uh, uh, next week. Uh, it also goes to, to bridging the gap. You know, what are we doing to really bridge the gap with our community? So um, you have any last words to say? No, I just appreciate everybody. I appreciate, you know, man, our wonderful producer, L.A., for giving us this opportunity and being supportive. To our listeners, we appreciate you all. You know, we hope that we're bringing you some informative, uh, you know, information that you may not be aware of and you keeping us real, uh, keeping us grounded. So we appreciate that. All right. All right, sir. Well, hey, you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network, and we will see you guys next week.
I get the story mode. Y'all tucked in? Here we go. Once upon a time, not long ago, when people wore pajamas and lived like slugs, where laws were stern and justice stood, and people were behaving like they ought to good, there lived a little boy who was misled by another little boy, and this is what he said. Me and you, time, we're gonna make some cash, robbing old folks and making the dash. They did the job, money came with ease, but one couldn't stop, it's like he had a disease, he robbed another and another and a sister and a brother. Tried to rob a man who was a DC undercover. The cop grabbed his arm, he started acting erratic, he said, keep still boy, no need for static. Punched him in his belly and he gave him a slap, but little did he know the little boy was strapped. The kid pulled out a gun, he said, why'd you hit me? The barrel set straight for the cop's kidney. The cop got scared, the kid he thought to figure. I'll do years if I pull this trigger. So he co-dashed and ran around a block. Cop radios into another lady cop. He ran by a tree, there he saw the sister. Shot for the head, he shot back when he missed her. Looked around good and from expectations. He decided he hit for the subway stations. But she was coming and he made a left. He was running top speed till he was out of breath. Knocked an old man down and swore he killed Sorry. him. Then he made his move to an abandoned building. Ran up the stairs up to the top. Open up a door there, guess who we saw? Days of dope, be shooting dope Who don't know the meaning of water, North Soap, he said I need bullets, hurry up, run The dope fiend brought back a spanking shotgun He went outside, but there was cops all over Then he dipped into a car, a stolen Nova Raced up the block doing 83 Crashed into a tree near university Escaped alive, though the car was battered Rattatat tatted and all the cops battered Ran out of bullets and he still had static Grabbed the pregnant lady and pulled out the automatic Pointed out ahead, he said the gun was full of lead He told the cops, back off, for honey is dead Deep in his heart, he knew he was wrong So he let the lady go and he starts to run on Sirens sounded, he seemed astounded And before long, the little boy got surrounded He dropped his gun, so went the glory And this is the way I have to end this story He was only one scene in a madman's dream The cops shot the kid, I still hear him scream This ain't funny, so don't you dare laugh Just another case about the wrong path Straight and arrow or your soul Good night.
Wanna hear? 